Welcome to Southside Presbyterian Church. The following sermon was taken from our Sunday gathering. If you'd like to find out more, or if we can help you on your journey in faith, head to our website, www.southsidepc.org, or visit us any Sunday morning at 9am. Brian will be uh, speaking to us from... Mark chapter 5, and I want to bring you that reading now. Mark chapter 5, reading from verse 1. If you've got your Bibles there, otherwise it'll be on the screen. Jesus with his disciples. And they went across the lake to the region of the Gerasenes. When Jesus got out of the boat, a man with an impure spirit came from the tombs to meet him. This man lived in the tombs and no one could, bring to, no one could bind him anymore not even with a chain. For he had often been chained and hand and by hand and foot, but he tore the chains apart and broke the irons off his feet. No one was strong enough to subdue him. Night and day among the tombs and in the hills he would cry out and cut himself with stones. When he saw Jesus from a distance, he ran and fell on his knees in front of him. He shouted at the top of his voice, What do you want from me, Jesus, Son of the Most High God? In God's name, don't torture me. For Jesus had said to him, Come out of this man, you impure spirit. Then Jesus asked him, What is your name? My name is Legion, he replied, for we are many. And he begged Jesus again and again not to send them out of the area. A large herd of pigs was feeding on the nearby hillside. The demons begged Jesus, Send us amongst the pigs. Allow us to go into them. He gave them permission, and the impure spirits came out and went into the pigs. The herd, about 2,000 in number, rushed down the steep bank into the lake and were drowned. Those tending the pigs ran off and reported this in the town and countryside. And the people went out to see what had happened. When they came to Jesus, they saw the man who had been possessed by the legion of demons sitting there, dressed in his right mind, and they were afraid. Those who had seen it told the people what had happened, happened to the demon-possessed man, and told about the pigs as well. Then the people began to plead with Jesus to leave their region. As Jesus was getting into the boat, the man who had been demon-possessed begged to go with him. Jesus did not let him, but said, Go home to your own people and tell them how much the Lord has done for you and how he has had mercy on you. So the man went away and began to tell in the Decapolis how much Jesus had done for him and all the people were amazed. Morning, everyone. I'm Ryan. Um, apologies, kids. Bit of a scary story. Great choice for first day of school holidays, but we're going to get into this together. Um, and so I'm going to pray that this passage doesn't just frighten us, but actually might bring us some comfort. So let's pray together. Heavenly Father, we do thank you that your word is confronting as it speaks to the realities, seen and unseen. Sometimes, Father, we prefer not even to think about. But, Lord, we ask that you have this here for us this morning, 
to learn something from it about your heart, who you are. And so we pray that you would teach us just that. And we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. <clears throat> A few questions to kick off this morning. Uh, and just think about this idea. What are the, the no-go areas in your life? Well, the, those places you just, just don't go. Maybe uh, the, a don't-go area um, is a location. You know, maybe you've figured out that a particular coffee shop makes horrible coffee and you just say, look, that's a no-go. Don't go there. Um, could be a particular brand, a particular brand of cleaner. Just don't go to that one. Just, it doesn't actually clean the mould off your shower. It doesn't work. Don't go there. Or maybe it's a tool. It just keeps breaking. You say, hey, look, mate, just don't go. It's a no-go. Don't go to any of that tool. Uh, maybe it's the kind of soap that you wash your children with. Uh, there's a particular brand. Say, hey, just don't go there. It's a no-go. Um, I know maybe there's yeah, particular don't-go-there brands or topics of conversation. Just don't talk about that. Just don't go there. Vaccinations. Well, let's just not go there. Don't go there. Um, or maybe a little bit deeper, what about particular people in your life? People that you know and function like, I just do not go there. I don't go near them. <clears throat> or what about your own internal world, the no-go areas for you? Maybe it's particular hurts, pains, moments in your history where you're like, look, just don't go there. There's so many, when we start to think about this, areas that we kind of just label as no-go areas, just kind of warning, do not go near there. And this passage that we're looking at this morning, Jesus' disciples, as they're approaching this shore, realise, to their shock and fear, that they are approaching the shore of the Gerizines. And this is one of the places for for Jesus' disciples, that they, they should not go. It's a no-go for them. This is one place that you do not step foot. But this is the one place where Jesus is taking them. And so why is Jesus taking them to this place? Well, to find out, well, let's, let's get back into the story. Because having left the, the eastern Oh, sorry, leaving for the eastern shore of the, the Sea of Galilee, the lake, um, that afternoon, a few hours later, they approached this shoreline of the Gerizines, a rough, rugged, um, rocky place with kind of the sun kind of slowly setting behind the hills. Kind of sounds a bit beautiful. But these aren't just any hills. These hills with caves are tombs. Cemeteries filled with the dead, tombs filled with bodies. Tombs, this, uh, these tomb-filled um, hills, they are casting their shadows over uh, the pig farmers and their pigs below. And from within the, the dark shadows of these tomb-filled um, hills, the wind kind of carries that muddy stench of pigs and this frightening cries as Jesus steps off the boat, planting his feet on the shore of the Gerizines, out from the tombs comes a frightening man 
who also is frightened himself. People don't go near this guy anymore because he is so wild, so wild but so wounded. His body bears the marks and scars and so wild but so in need of help and he's possessed by this demon. In fact, Luke, in his account of this story, he tells us, or he adds to the picture, that for a long time he had worn no clothes and he had not lived in a house but among the tombs. And Mark adds, he was so fierce, so difficult, so hard to deal with that no one went by his way anymore. And here in this, it's even easy to forget that there's even a person here at all hidden beneath, deep in the chaos of this, this person's life. And it's this man who is running towards them. And it's Jesus' disciples, uh, this situation, everything about this situation makes your heart rattle within you. Every fibre of your being is screaming out, why am I here? I shouldn't be here. This is not okay. Because if being at the Gerasenes wasn't troubling enough, you know, a people known uh, for their rejection and resistance of God and their anti-God way of life, but there's tombs and pigs and demons, things that as Jews, as Jesus' disciples were, this was a no-go. Don't go there. And so, by the way, when we're talking about these, these demons, these unclean spirits, what we're talking about are these personal anti-God workers of Satan. They're not superstition, they're not figments of imagination, they're not um, impersonal forces or even psychological states. Their intention is clear, they're not for our good, but for our self-destruction. And this man, he is hurting himself and he's hurting others. And what these demons' intentions after this man will, will be revealed as we keep going in the story. But this person was a person who everyone thought was written off by God, rejected by God. No one was coming to help him anymore and perhaps the one person who could had rejected him. No one could help him. And, and so here's the worst of the worst, the helpless and hopeless, this wounded and wild as all get out, demon-possessed man who's tearing down these hills, but he's no longer coming from the hills anymore. He is falling at the feet of Jesus in front of you. And he is crying out to Jesus, what do you want with me, son of the most high God? In God's name, do not torture me. And the question that was on the disciples' minds before, what on earth are we doing here, is kind of shoved to the side with, what is Jesus going to do now? Son of the Most High, who? What? Jesus, though, asks his own question, what's your name? And if things weren't frightening enough, from the mouth of this man kneeling at Jesus' feet, in the dusty shadows of these hills, this demon speaks. But not just a demon, but an army of demons. Legion is my name, he says, for we are many. Make no mistake, as we've seen, this is a powerful demon. No one was able to free this man. But, as it appears that you know, Satan or these demons were kind of shaping up to have a battle with Jesus, they take a dive. These demons 
appear to be more frightened of Jesus than he is of them, and they beg Jesus again and again, don't send us out of the area. With the, the herd of pigs kind of close by, they, they beg Jesus to send um, us among the pigs, and he allows them to do it. He gives them permission. And so the impure spirits leave the man and go into the pigs. There's no battle, no struggle. Jesus just shows up. And the pig farmers watching all this happen, this crazy situation unfold with this wild boy tearing down the hillside, falling at Jesus' feet, and then just in a moment, the herd of 2,000 pigs just rushes off down into the, the lake and drown. And by the way, this was the destructive intention that these demons had for this man. And so the pig farmers, well, they run off reporting this to everybody. And as people come to see what's going on, they see this man, they see that man, that man that everybody knew never to go near. That's the man that the parents told their kids, do not go there. That man, here he's that man, sitting at Jesus' feet, clothed for the first time in who knows how long and in his right mind. The locals and these pig farmers, they wouldn't know how to feel, how to think about this. You know, it's, it's all well and good for this man, good for him, but we've just lost a whole lot of bacon. And not just like bacon for breakfast, but, you know, although Jesus didn't kind of wipe out the entire pigging industry, it was just one, you know, one herd, you know, but this would have taken a hit to these farmers' income. And so, really, their minds have made up. They, they plead with Jesus to leave. And so, Jesus and his disciples get back into the boat. But this once demon-possessed man, he asks Jesus, I want to go with you. Jesus, knowing this man's been kept from his family far too long, tells him to go home, go be with your people and tell them how much the Lord has done for you. Tell them about his mercy. Tell them about his compassion on you. That's exactly what he does. So while Jesus wants to be in these people's lives, Jesus doesn't force himself into their lives. Jesus leaves, and make no mistake, they will be definitely poorer for it, but Jesus doesn't leave them without nothing. He leaves them with this, his representative, this man, as a reminder of what God has done and can do, as a reminder of God's compassion So stories like this, the, the Gospels, the accounts of Jesus' life, these stories, they are like this one, invite us to share in the experience of the characters have with Jesus, to kind of share in their interactions with him. And so kind of the question is with this passage, how on earth do we, are we being invited just to share in the experience of Jesus in this story? There's three things, uh, at least three things, that we can reflect on this morning um, as we think about this story of Jesus. And the, and the first thing is, the question that we raised earlier was, why? Why is Jesus going to a place like this, to a people like this, to a man like this? Of all the places and all the people, why here? Well, it's because it's why Jesus has actually come. If we listen to Jesus, actually, we would expect him to be at places and with people like this. Mark told us earlier on in chapter 2, verse 17, that 
Jesus himself at least says, I've come for those um, who need a physician. I haven't come for those who are well. I've come for those who are sick. I've come not for the righteous, but for the sinners. I've come for those who everyone thinks are rejected by God. And again, Matthew and Luke, you know, really helpfully add their two cents to it too. They, they remind us that you know, Jesus says that he's come to proclaim good news, to proclaim freedom for the prisoners, recovery to the sight of the blind, to set the oppressed free, to proclaim the grace of God. So why does Jesus go to a place like this? Why does Jesus go to those no-go, don't-go-there places in our lives? Well, it's for people like this, people like us, to preach the good news, to bring good news, to tell us that, hey, I'm here for you, I haven't rejected you, that I'm here to help you, to bring you freedom from your prisons, to set you free from your oppressions. I'm not here because I have to be here, I'm here because I want to be here. There's no other place Jesus wants to be. And so we can think of you know, these no-go places you know, as physical locations, geographical locations, and sure, definitely. But I think Jesus actually has something else in mind too. And what Jesus has in mind are those no-go broken places, those rocky, rough, rugged geographical locations within the geography of our heart, those dark, deep, unseen wounds inside that enslave us, the unhealthy ways of thinking, feeling, that result in these unhealthy behaviours. Because the primary target that the Bible tells us, this passage shows us, of sin and, and Satan and demons is to influence and control the way that we think and feel. Mark tells us explicitly that it was this man's mind that was made right that it was restored. And so if you're anything like me, I know my mental health isn't always really that healthy. But it would be wrong to actually use this passage though to push any idea that just because you suffer from mental health that you are somehow oppressed or um, possessed, I should say, with an army of demons. That's not what this passage is saying. But what the Bible teaches and what this passage does speak to is the reality that our hearts the way we think and the way we feel are influenced by them. We are spiritually broken and wounded people and Satan and his demons make absolutely all use of our weakness and our brokenness. And like this passage, like this man, some people have tried to help us along the way perhaps not knowing what they were getting themselves into or in for, but now they know that's a no-go area in our life. Just don't go there because we're too hard, too difficult to deal with. And when they've gone there, somehow we've become too fierce, too wild when people get close. And so in a very real sense, like what this passage is telling us, that actually, despite the best intentions of the people around us, only Jesus is able to help us. Really, only Jesus has the kind of power that can deal with the depths of our spiritual brokenness and woundedness. So if, if this is why Jesus has come, if this is who God is and the people that he comes to, what does this story then tell us about what kind of experience we should expect, what kind of welcome we should get from Jesus when we come to him? 
And what we experience uh, from Jesus is kind of highlighted for us in verse 8. And it might seem like nothing on the surface, but let's dig into this a little bit. Let's, let's have a look at this verse. Because the way it reads, for Jesus had said to them, come out of this man. And what the verse really doesn't capture is kind of the, the Greek words kind of lying behind the description of Jesus' actions here. Because they actually should literally read, for Jesus kept on saying, come out of this man, 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 come out of this man. So we get this picture that Jesus sees this man running towards him from the hills. And Jesus notices him, sets his intention, his direction towards him, repeatedly commanding and demanding that this demon come out of him. It's quite an intense scene. So what is going on here? Why the repetition? Why the intensity from Jesus? What does this reveal about Jesus in this story? Did Jesus like, have to repeatedly say to this demon, come out of him, come out of him, come out of him, as if his, the, the sheer repetition would just kind of overwhelm? That sheer repetition is the thing that brings power, like some kind of spell? You know, was the raised voice, the commanding necessary to somehow be taken seriously? That somehow a command or, you know, Jesus has got more power when he does that. I don't think so. Jesus' response, he responds this way because he's actually deeply moved by what he's experiencing and seeing in this man. Jesus' reactions are a window into the heart of Jesus as he wins salvation for us. Listen to how Jesus himself actually helps this man understand what he's just experienced and what was going on for Jesus in that moment. Jesus tells this man to go home, go to your people, and to tell them how much the Lord has done for you and how he has had compassion, how he has had mercy on you. You know, the Greek word behind mercy and compassion uh, is the sense of being greatly concerned for someone in need. It describes the motivation behind someone's actions. It describes someone acting out of compassion to do compassion Jesus is moved with a compassionate concern for this man. That's why he did what he did. That's why Jesus does what he does, because his heart is moved by compassion. And the question we also raise is, well, what's with this demon calling Jesus Son of the Most High God? Well, it's because Jesus' actions are God's actions. This means that Jesus' heart is God's heart on display for us. It means that as God sees us, he is deeply concerned and moved by what he sees and he saves. This is who our God is. He is the God who is wildly and frighteningly compassionate. But this demon isn't actually the only people or or person in this story who is influenced by Jesus' wild compassion here. Uh, The farmers and the people were also impacted by uh, Jesus too. And so um, how are we being invited to kind of just wrestle with their experience with Jesus in this story? So, so, you know, while we may not be uh, possessed by demons... Like Jesus says, we are, we are influenced by them. And so while we may not have some of these 
uh, you know, self-destructive habits that this man has, we do have some habits that are self-destructive. We do act in ways that hurt people and hurt ourselves. This passage gives us a confronting example of what these destructive habits can look like. And it reveals that sometimes we don't always value what God values. Like the people and the farmer in this story, God has changed this man's life forever. And of course it's impacted them. And so objectively, sure, all well and good. But subjectively, we're like, hang on a second. No, I'm not okay with this. I didn't ask for this. I didn't ask God to change that person in my life and then this would be the impact. Instead of celebrating the evidence of God's grace in the lives around us, we actually are more fearful and concerned about our pigs, our momentary loss, the momentary change in our life. Whether it's change for better, doesn't matter. And so instead of joining this man at the feet of Jesus, instead we ask actually Jesus, you know what, can you just keep your compassion to yourself? Can you actually just leave? Can you stop meddling? Rather than seeing God's compassion radically change our lives of of the people's lives around us, as an invitation for us to go, you know what, I need Jesus just as much as them. We are fearful and we ask Jesus to leave. And like in this passage, Jesus doesn't force himself into unwilling hearts and Jesus, you know, if he... We say we don't value what you value, Jesus. He's not going to make us value what he values, but make no mistake, like the people in this story, our lives will be poorer for it. So as far as Jesus is concerned, we are spiritually broken and wounded people. And the story of Jesus' compassion is inviting us to, to come to him regardless of how we come. Who could come more ugly than this man, right? Who could come to Jesus more ugly than this running, naked, bruised and battered, crying out, hurt man? And Jesus just welcomes him. What matters is, what, is that we come to Jesus. And so when we come to Jesus, we're actually coming to someone, though, who knows our temptation and influence. He knows what it's like to suffer the temptation and influence of Satan and demons on his thoughts and feelings. Jesus knows what it's like to suffer at their hands. He wept blood in the Garden of Gethsemane. He suffered at the hands of evil people on the cross. He was killed. He really is the man of sorrows who is acquainted with all our griefs. He really knows what it's like to be the least, the worst, or counted as the least and worst among us. 
but Jesus wasn't defeated by their influence. They did not have the last say in Jesus' life. And when we belong to Jesus, we don't, they don't have the last say or the last word in our life either. They don't have the last say, they don't have the last word because we have a far more powerful presence in our life. We have a far more wild and fierce but compassionate presence in our life and it is Jesus. And so as we kind of stop now and pray, uh, within yourself, come however you are, however ugly that may look, knowing that Jesus isn't scared off, but moved uh, by what's going on for you and wants to help. He's here to help. So let's pray. Heavenly Father, it sure is a confronting story uh, to, to be met with this morning. Because uh, we all come here, Father, I come here with a whole lot of frustrations, things that I don't want to talk about, don't want to have to worry about, things that I should have done that I haven't done. Father, we're all like that because we're all broken, wounded, sinful people. But thank you, Father, that as we sit here this morning, as we walk through these doors coming to you, that this passage reminds us that as you see us before you now, that you are moved, deeply moved and concerned for us. And that's what stands behind anything that you say and do towards us. So, Father, we bring these concerns and cares of our heart to you, knowing that you care deeply for us and knowing that you can do something about it. And so, Father, we pray that because of our experience of your gracious compassion, that we would live lives that do reflect the mercy that you have shown us to those you've placed in our life. Help us, Father, to not respond in fear and selfishness over the change that people that you have in people's lives around us. Help us to celebrate the evidence of your grace and help us to come and sit with them at your feet and taste and see your compassion to us. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.